fun-filled days, amazing food, incredible wine, and heart-stopping views. Lisbon has become a destination of choice for lots of good reasons. Join us, Tori, and Paul, two proud Portuguese Americans, as we explore our favorite city and transport you to Lisbon with love. Bom dia, Paul. Bom dia, Tori. And bom dia to our listeners. Welcome back to To Lisbon with Love, a travel podcast about the beautiful city of Lisbon. So in our last episode, we took you on a tour of Lisbon's very beautiful neighborhoods. And in this episode, we're actually going to take you outside the city of Lisbon. Yeah, you know, not everyone when they visit a city want to spend all of their time in a city. Sometimes you want to go out and see the countryside and see what the other parts of the country are like. And it turns out that there are a lot of places to see in Portugal that are well within uh, the range of a day trip from Lisbon. So we're going to talk about some of those today. And I think our first stop that we're going to take you all on is Sintra, which is a fairy tale come to life. Yeah, Sintra is really, uh, it's really a magical setting. There's beautiful romantic architecture, really nice hills. One could even call the uh, the main hill that the castle is on a mountain. Lots of natural beauty, uh, verdant forests, uh, a lot of trails to hike. And um, it's so beautiful that the uh, poet Lord Byron once referred to Sintra as a glorious Eden, which I think is, is very true. I agree. It is really quite glorious. And it's one of those places where, um, you know, you'll find it on all the major, you know, travel guides where you would go to. And sometimes, you know, you look at those guides and you're like, is this really worth the trip? And I would say that this place is definitely worth the trip. As you do research, you'll come across this really iconic photo of the uh, Penna Palace and it's colorful. It's got all these beautiful turrets and it just looks like, again, this weird kind of Candyland fairy tale come to life. And so I guess, how would you get there, Paul? Well, I, I think the best way to get to Sintra from Lisbon is by train. I'm going to start out by saying that even though if you were to decide to rent a car, it would be a pretty uh, easy drive. The problem is once you get to Sintra, it's not a good idea to uh, to drive around, especially up to the the attractions that are on the top of the mountain, like the Pana Palace and the, the Moorish Castle. The, the streets heading up there are very narrow and very steep, and um, there's a lot of traffic from buses and tuk-tuks and cars, and um, you're just better off really not driving there. I'd say you're definitely better off taking the train. And it turns out that it's very convenient to take the train from Lisbon. You can take the train from Rusiu, which is right in the center of downtown Lisbon, right at Rusiu Square, which is right in the center. And there are commuter trains that leave uh, very often from Rusiu. So it, it's almost to the point, especially if you're going on a weekday, where you don't even necessarily have to plan which train you take, because I believe on weekdays they leave as often as like every 20 minutes, where you can just go and... Um, 
If you have your Viva Viaging card, which is the same card you can use to pay to go on the subway, you can use that if you have stored value on that. And you just look for the scene to the line, and it's scene to the, is the last stop on the line, so it's super easy to get to uh, using the train. Agreed. Um, I mean, I think transportation in Portugal and just in Lisbon in general is really easy and very pleasurable, but the Sintra line is also just, it's so easy to get there. So I, I would agree. I would definitely skip the car. And I guess once you're there, there are kind of like two things that you could do to explore Sintra. If you want to like just get out there, get to the palace and, you know, make that sort of you know, among your first stops in the morning. When you get out of the train station, there's a bus that you can take. I think it's the 434 bus and it's a loop. It stops first in the city center and then it goes up to uh, the Castelo dos Moros and then it goes up to Pena Palace and loops back around to the train station. And that uh, you can buy a ticket and do the kind of like a hop on hop off and use that to get up to the palace. And, you know, I think some people might look at the geography and think, well, maybe I can just like walk uphill to the palace. And you could certainly do that. It is not something that's advisable if you're only gonna be there for like an afternoon or, you know, are short on time. It is definitely like a hike. It's not like a leisurely walk up there. But if you decide that you wanted to like spend time in Sintra and make that, one of your activities, it's it's beautiful. It's just like this very beautiful forest with pathways that you can get up there, but it is definitely a very, very steep mountain. Yep, and another option, as with a lot of other places in Portugal these days, when you get off the train, there will be almost certainly numerous uh, tuk-tuk drivers who would be willing to, obviously for a fee, take you on a personal tour, which... You know, again, if you're if you're really strapped on time, uh, that could be an option as well. Definitely. And if you're sort of like, I don't want to quite go to the palace yet, you could also, you could walk to the city center. So if you decide you don't want to take the bus to the city center, you could walk there. That's probably about, I don't know, maybe like a 10 minute walk, I think. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I guess 10 to 12 minutes. Um, and it's not hilly. I don't recall it being No, that, that walk is pretty... Uh, the walk is pretty flat, and, you know, as you walk along, because a lot of uh, visitors do do that, um, you know, there will be numerous people selling arts and crafts and the like along the way, which is uh, nice to, to browse. So, yeah, that's definitely another option, either to or from the city center, from the, uh, you know, between the, uh, the train station and the city center. Yeah, and the city center itself is, you know, you're just typical beautiful like little European downtown um, there's lots of shops there's restaurants lots of activity happening there um, there's also a palace called the Palacio Nacional de Sintra it's a formish, former Moorish palace we went there last time and I thought it was pretty cool it was a really cool way to explore see the Moorish influence again beautiful azulejos these like beautiful tiles Definitely, you know, again, if you're short on time, that might not be on your must-go-to list, but it was cool to check out if you have, like, a little bit of more time to do. Yep, I agree. Yeah, that was uh, very nice, and um, 
I would say the biggest difference between that and the Panda Palace is that the Panda Palace has has nicer views, um, but you know certainly touring the inside of the uh, Palacio Nacional is is definitely a, a great experience. So I guess we should talk about the Panda Palace. Yes, I mean that's that's what everyone thinks of when they when they think of Cintra and and rightly so. And really, I mean, we talk about it being like a fairy tale, and it it is like, uh, you know, Cinderella's castle in, in Disney World has nothing on, on Pana Palace. Absolutely not. It is just, it's magical. It's jaw-dropping and just, again, nothing that, especially if you are in the U.S., like, you've just never seen anything quite like this ever. Yeah, I mean... It, it clearly was built to be like a fairy tale. Um, this was not, um, you know, like an old time palace that was built inside a castle for defense. This was clearly for aesthetics. And it's just just very colorful, um, very neo-Moorish in, in design, just beautiful turrets and... And really, as beautiful as the building is on the outside, and it is, uh, the views from there are every bit as, as beautiful on, on top of that hill. You can just see for miles around, um, you know, on a clear day, you can see all the way to the ocean and a lot of the Portuguese countryside, and it's, it's really beautiful. Yeah, so if you're taking the bus up there, one thing to know is that the bus will take you up to, I believe, the gates. And then you would either have to walk up and, you know, it's it's a uphill climb. It's not as steep as if you were, you know, climbing from the bottom of this mountain. But, it, you know, it's a little bit of a walk. Or you could take a shuttle up there, which that costs like a little bit more money. So just kind of depending on your on your time and sort of what you'd like to do, you can have that option. Yeah, and, and when you get to the palace, when you buy your ticket to uh, to enter the grounds they give you a map of the grounds so that again as beautiful as the palace is if you have a little bit more time there are a ton of little walking trails that go mm -hmm. all up and down the hill there and yeah it, it's just the, the whole thing is really peaceful and serene and uh and definitely worth uh worth doing if you enjoy walking through the forest and you get to see more views and uh yeah if you have a little bit more time uh, and that's your sort of thing that is definitely uh, recommended as well. Yes. And I think that's important to note because once you get up to the palace, depending on the time of day that you're there, there could be like a huge wait to go inside. And, you know, if you've seen your fair share of the interiors of European palaces and you're short on time and don't really want to feel like you want to wait in line, I think it's totally fine to skip the interior like it was cool but it wasn't anything that um like I left there thinking like oh my god that was absolutely amazingly incredible to me it's really like the exterior and the grounds that are really what what draws me there yeah I agree when I when I went with uh with my friends and we'll be interviewing them for our next episode about their experience when we all went to Portugal um we we experienced exactly that. The line was super long to get into the building, and we just decided to hike around the grounds instead. And, you know, like Tori says, there are other beautiful palaces in 
Lisbon or around Lisbon or around the rest of Portugal or the rest of Europe. Um, of course, it's nice inside. The king lived there. You know, they're not, you know, it's it's nice, but uh, there are a lot of nice places. So, yeah, I mean, even even the Palacio Nacional that we talked about that's in sort of the center of, of town on the bottom of the hill. You know, if there's not as much of a line for that, that's just as impressive on the inside. So, yeah, you you have our uh, our permission to skip the inside of the palace, uh, the Palacio de Pena, if uh, if time doesn't allow. Definitely. Nearby, um, a short walk from the palace is the Castelo dos Moros, and this is the ruins of a Moorish castle, but it wasn't really a castle, right? It was really meant for defense. Am I remembering that right? Yeah, I mean, it is It is a castle. What remains there today is really just the outer walls of the castle, which, again, yes, it is definitely, um, definitely was meant for defense. You know, it dates back to the Moorish times, so many hundreds of years before the palace was up there, the, cal- the castle was up there. And, you know, it, it is a very impressive old structure, and there are really nice views from there, including views of the palace, which is something you don't get from the palace. So if you kind of want a sort of a long shot exterior view of the palace, that's a great place to get it. But really, at the end of the day, it really is just the outer walls of the castle, and you can walk around and, you know, take in the beautiful views. But again, you're going to get similar views from the palace. So again, it's up to you. If you've reached your quota of European uh, castles, then, you know, maybe you might not want to spend the time to do it. But, you know, if, if you haven't and if you, you know, want to check out this really old, really cool, you know, old Moorish castle, it's there and, you know, it's great. I think that the point of view that I usually take is that, I'll often go to the old Moorish castle that's in the center of Lisbon, Castelo Saint George, and it's like, well, you know, I don't know that I necessarily need to see both, but um, you know, either or, or you know, whatever you want, it's it's definitely like an impressive place. Mm. I think one thing to note is that if you decide to take the bus from uh, the train station after the city center. The castle is the first stop. Yep, yep, that's true. Um, so if you're going to do both, you might want to do um, you might want to do the castle first. Although it should be noticed that noted that um, the entrance to the grounds of the castle is definitely walking distance from the sort of ticket booth at the entrance of the palace. So you can do them either way and walk between the two. Um, but you will definitely come to the castle first. Yeah, I think we usually end up going to the palace, right? Penna Palace first and then walking down. Right. And then hitting the castle and then walking down towards the city center. Is that right? Well, I don't think we've ever walked down to the city center, but we'll walk, we'll take the bus uh, back. I mean, obviously walking down is easier than than walking up. But um, But it's still a distance. Yes. Got it. So we should talk about this other wonderful spot in Sintra, which is, I am like absolutely in love with, and that is the Quinta de Regalera. It is this very charming garden residence. It used to be privately owned. I don't believe it's privately privately owned now. 
And when we went there for the first time, I don't know how many years ago, at least more than five years ago, I think, it was definitely beginning to be restored, but it was, there was definitely, you could tell that there were parts of it that just hadn't been taken care of. And over time, and I think this is part of one of the great things about there being such a tourism drive to Portugal, I think there's just been, you know, more added resources to these really beautiful places to help um, restore them. Quinta de Regalera is definitely one of those places that I think has just been restored so beautifully. It was the private residence of a Brazilian mining owner who was very interested in the Knights of Templar and the Freemasons. So this is one of those spots that I think that very strongly deserves a tour because there's just so much um, symbolism in the design that is just so interesting to me. Yeah, I agree. Um, It's beautiful to walk around regardless, but when you get a tour, you definitely get more of a... uh an explanation of the meaning of the various uh, structures, and it is it's it is really interesting. And similar to, uh, I think, Penna Palace, there's these beautiful paths. Um, there's these, like, grottos. There's, a, like, a little chapel on the grounds. There's this really amazing photo of the structure that spirals downwards that you can actually, you know, go down the steps and go underground which is really cool. Yeah, that that's really fun to do. It's basically, it's almost like a round tower, but instead of going up into the sky, you're going down into the ground mm. on this stone spiral staircase. And, you know, it's just great to take pictures of. And then, you know, when you get to the bottom, there is kind of a path where you can walk across like stones across this like pond to get out of there. It's, it's really, really well laid out. I, I, it's really fun to explore. Mm. And we mentioned that this being a, a spot where you should take a tour. I think one thing that we noticed from the last time we were there is that the lines were huge to get in. And so if you want to take a tour, I would build in a lot of time to wait in line so you can get your tickets. So that way you don't miss your tour, which I think we we missed the last one, sadly, because we weren't expecting it. Um which again, great, but still. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely picked up in popularity. So, yep, that's a good tip. And um, actually, that's a good time to mention that really, um, as beautiful as Cintra is, and everyone wants to go there because it's beautiful. But the fact that everyone wants to go there means that it's really crowded. And I don't think I've ever been to Cintra at a time when it wasn't crowded. Mm. So just be prepared for that. Def- you know, you should definitely go because it's beautiful. But just know that there will be a lot of people there pretty much whenever you go. And w- one more point about the Quinta de Regaleda. Again, beautiful. Absolutely worth checking out. Um, but that bus that does the loop up to Pena Palace and the Moorish, Moorish Castle uh, does not stop there. Now, Quinta de Regaleda is relatively close to the town center. You know, it's maybe, again, maybe like a 10-minute walk. So it's definitely doable. Just just be prepared that the bus isn't, or th- that particular loop bus is not going to stop there. Mm. So those are like our favorite spots in Sintra. Sintra actually has quite a lot to it. There are other palaces. There's a convent. Again, beautiful hiking grounds. So I think if you wanted to spend more than a day there, you could certainly 
do that. It's worth visiting, I think. But those are definitely our, our favorite spots for a day trip. would you go on a day trip Paul? Well if you're looking for more of a, uh, a beach town and you're staying in Lisbon and you just want to spend maybe one afternoon or so just uh, heading out and seeing the water maybe sitting by the water going swimming uh, Kishkaj is a really nice option for that. Mm. I like Kishkaj. Yeah it's it's uh it's it's very convenient from Lisbon um, it's probably the easiest beach town to get to from Lisbon. It, it, it's, it's a great distance for a day trip. You can get there very easily on, again, another of these commuter-type trains. Uh, this one would leave from Caix de Sodre, so near the river, um, near the timeout market. Uh, you might remember we mentioned that train station as uh, where you would leave from to take a train to go to Belém which is the fastest way to get to Belém. And that train that you would take to Belém is on the Cascais line, so it would be the exact same train. Just take it all the way to the end, and you're in Cascais. And you've got your beautiful beach area where you can just relax and um, you know be by the water. Um, a friend of ours went there, and she was able to like rent like a beach chair and a towel. So... Yeah, you know, as long as you have your, your bathing suit or, you know, whatever, um, just, yeah, you, you can just go there and they'll, uh, for a small fee, they'll they'll set you up to, to hang out on the beach. And uh, Tori mentioned our friend, uh, Julie, who will be, who we will also interview about her experiences in, in Lisbon during our next episode. She actually took a bus from Sintra to Kishkaj. So she decided, okay, I've seen enough of Sintra. I want to get my beach on, you know, right from the train station there. There are buses that run frequently that, that go to Kishkaj. So that that's even another option if you want to split up your day that way. But yeah, uh, Kishkaj is, is a beautiful, beautiful town. Yeah. And if you're not ready to like just sit on the beach, it's also a really cool little area to explore. They've got kind of like a little shopping district with lots of really cool gift shops that have kind of like very arts focused gifts. Uh, there's lots of restaurants for some sit down meals. You could also take a walk uh, to this place called Boca de Inferno. Yeah, um, Boca do Inferno is a, uh, a spot on the beach, a little bit outside of, of town, but definitely walkable from, from the center of town. And it's just this place where there are these cliffs and the waves come crashing in and there are sort of these these sort of caverns that fill up with the seawater and it's very violent. So, uh, or very violent, you know, looking, very, uh, very, very strong waves and uh, it creates uh, quite a spectacle to watch. And Boca do Inferno, literally translated, means the mouth of hell. So to give you an idea of, of just how like powerful the, the waves are there. So that, that is definitely a nice spot to check out. And um, on your way from town or back to town, you'll pass a lot of really beautiful houses owned by some very rich people. So uh, 
Kashkaj does tend to be a little bit on the pricey side, but definitely worth uh, checking out. You know, one of my favorite memories of our time in Kashkaj, we were walking around and decided to like, on the beach itself, there was all these kiosks and there was like a little ice cream cart. Um, and Paul and I bonded over this ice cream that sold in Portugal called Ola. Um, when we were growing up, I mean, in our own individual <laughs> childhoods, um, whenever we would visit Portugal with our families, like that would always be like the treat. So I remember we got an ice cream once and just like sat on the beach and had a little Ola. Yeah, I love Ola. <laughs> Another area to walk when you're in Kashgaj is this beautiful boardwalk, and you can actually take that to the next town over. Yeah, so there's this boardwalk that runs along the beach, and it, it probably runs for, for a couple of miles, I believe, or at least more than a mile. Um, and all along the way, there are little beaches, and there are little cafes on the boardwalks where you can just sit out and have some food or, or just a, a beer and, you know, enjoy the beautiful scenery. And uh, if you take that all the way to the end, you end up in the next town, which is called Estoril. And Estoril uh, is probably most famous for its casino. And it's very prominently placed. It's right, you know, if, if you take the train from Lisbon and you look out the window at the Estoril stop, you see a beautiful little park. And at the top of the hill, at the top of the park, is this casino. And it turns out that that casino has quite a bit of history. Going back to World War II, when... Portugal remained officially neutral in World War II. So you had a bunch of people from both sides of the war who would congregate there. Obviously, it was a very strategic location. You know, Portugal is basically the first land that you get to coming to Europe from the United States. You know, it's not super far from England, and England always has had a, a good relationship with Portugal. And uh, so, you, you know, people a lot of times would hang out in this casino, especially, you know, people in the military or even spies or diplomats or all, all kinds of really interesting high-ranking people. And they would all, you know, get together and, you know, you would find them at a, at a table game at the casino, you know, Germans and English and Americans and everything. And there was a young uh, British naval officer who was stationed there at the time and he was fascinated by all of these interesting people who would who would be at these tables playing these games and he was so impressed by it and so inspired by it that he decided to write his first novel based in part on that experience and that novel was called Casino Royale so uh if you haven't yet realized, that young officer was Ian Fleming. So the whole James Bond series was inspired by and, and originally based on the casino at Estoril. That's amazing. I, I mean, I know that we've talked about it before, but I mean, just to think about like the magnitude of um, that experience and what it's brought, you know, both to like literature and film and just like the martinis it's it's pretty amazing um how that just like inspired that that whole legacy yeah and you know 
so many people have gone by that casino and probably did not know that that's that's where James mm-hmm. Bond came from. And you can still visit the casino. It's still open, operating as a casino. Just one thing to note for those of you who are used to going to casinos in the United States, especially Las Vegas. Um, in Las Vegas, all the casinos are open 24 hours a day. I believe by law they have to be. Um, in in Portugal, they are not. Um, I don't know exactly when it opens, but I believe it's like mid to late afternoon. Like I tried going there once at like one and it, in the afternoon and it just it wasn't open. So keep that in mind. But yeah, if you want a little bit of history with your casino, that's a good place to check out. Very cool. So I think we should also talk about Ovidus, which is one of my favorite little towns in Portugal. Yeah, Ovidus is uh, a bit of a polar opposite from Cascais, I would say, whereas Cascais is sort of a, a playground for the rich and definitely more uh, more modern, I would say. Um, Albidus is more of a taste of medieval Portugal. So um, Albidus, just to, to set the, the scene, it's, it's inland a little bit. It's a little bit north of Lisbon, but it's a, a, an old walled town, and the walls that surrounded the old town are still completely intact. And you can even walk around the walls of, like, the entire town. And uh, there are beautiful views of the countryside. And it's it's very sort of bucolic and peaceful. Mm. I just find it so charming. And I think it's also known a little bit as, like, the village of the queens. Because beginning with um, King Danish, way, way back in the day... <laughs> He gifted Obidus to his queen, and so throughout time, as other marriages, other royal marriages have happened, there has been the gifting of Obidus to various queens. I did not know that. Look, look at you doing all the research. <laughs> I did the research because wow. I'm, I'm in love with Obidus. That's it's just, good. <laughs> it's just like it's like such a little charming place, and it's tiny. It's not a very large town and you would go there and you would wonder like what am I going to do but somehow we we always manage to fill our time the the buildings are like all whitewashed and there's these just these gorgeous flowers that grow on the walls there is a art gallery that we went to which was really cool there's also this really amazing bookstore was it in a former chapel am I making that up yep, no, no it was in a that, former chapel it was, right yeah I don't know. I just, I'm just in love with it. It's so charming. Yeah, and the, the castle is sort of part of the outside walls, and there, the the castle is now a posada, which is a government-run uh, hotel, and there are even some rooms in the castle. Unfortunately, we have not stayed in these rooms, but there are rooms in the castle where, sort of, the bedroom walls are like the wall of the castle so like the stone wall of the castle so it's like you're in this you really feel like you're staying in a castle in olden days because your walls are literally the sort of the outer walls of, of the stone castle um yeah it's it's albedo is a really interesting place i tori mentioned the the whitewashed walls but i love the fact that even though most of the walls are white they on the sort of the bottom of the walls like near where the where the wall meets the uh the street they're always painted one solid color, mm. very 
stark contrast to white like a lot of times it's a very bright blue mm. or an orange and that that sort of juxtaposition is is really striking and and beautiful and unique i think um yeah and, and um yeah so albedus is, is is a beautiful place and again a decent amount of people will visit it so um if you go um you know, it, it, depending on the day, I, it, it might be crowded. I, I think Albedus gets a lot of sort of local tourists, so people mm -hmm. who live in Portugal who just go there because it's a beautiful place. So I think Albedus is more the type of place where it's going to be more crowded on a day where locals would go, like weekends or holidays and stuff. Another uh, really interesting experience that, that we had, and this is if you, I would say, have a lot of time in Portugal and maybe... Um, can spare more than an afternoon to go to Albedus. So like I said, a, a lot of people do visit Albedus, but because there isn't that much in terms of tourist attractions to see there, other than just walking around, um, a lot of people tend to leave by the end of the day. So, you know, sure, they get a lot of tour buses, but then eventually the tour buses leave and eventually the last bus to Lisbon leaves. And at that point, the town becomes really, really quiet. And, you know, when night falls, there aren't a ton of street lights, and you really, you know, you're just in this really quiet, old, medieval Portuguese town, and you really get the sense of what it was like to have lived, you know, in a place like that hundreds of years ago. It's a, it's a completely different experience mm. than you get during the day. And, and we actually stayed in a nice little house that's within the, the, the town walls, and it was, it, it was, yeah, a very very unique experience so that's something to keep in mind as well yeah that was really sweet i love that place i love obidus yep we should mention how to get there yeah good point so again from lisbon in this case i would not suggest taking the train uh there is a train that goes there the problem is that it's a very local train that makes a lot of stops and the train does not leave you any convenient location. It leaves you sort of at the foot at the foot of this tall hill that, you know, for defense purposes, many if not most towns in Portugal would have been built on back in the day. Uh, so basically, it would it would leave you at, at the foot of this hill, and you would have to hike all the way up to the town on this road. And it's really that walk itself wouldn't be all that scenic. It would be kind of more of a pain. So. If you're going to take public transportation, you're much better off uh, taking the bus from Lisbon. And um, it's a little bit tricky to find the spot where the bus leaves from. It's, it, it's a, a bus station where there are a lot of buses leaving from there. It's not a problem finding the station, but determining precisely where the bus to Aubidouge leaves is sometimes a bit of a challenge. So we will uh, put like a screenshot on our website to help you if, if you want to take the bus there. Uh, it'll show you like a map of exactly where that bus would leave from. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice bus ride. The buses are, are very clean and uh, comfortable in, in Portugal. Uh, so yeah, that would be my, my recommendation. It's also a place if you were to decide to rent a car, I think there's enough parking there where, you know, you can park just outside the, the, the town walls and I think you would be okay. But, but the buses is, is another great option. Yeah, no, I think that's good. Um, and yes, definitely go to our website 
to lisbonwithlove.com and we'll have that screenshot there because it was very tricky. Oh, and we almost forgot one of the best parts of Albedus, which is the ginger. <gasps> I can't believe we almost forgot I know. that. That would have been a disservice. <laughs> So you, our, our listeners may remember from our very first episode we, where we took you to a, on a virtual uh, visit to a Ginginia, which, again, Ginja is this uh, cherry liqueur that's very popular in Portugal. Uh, they, they have their own uh, special uh, version in, uh, in Albidouche. It's just called Ginginia de Albidouche. But one um, tradition that they have there that you don't see everywhere else is that they actually serve the ginja in edible chocolate cups what a people i mean it's amazing yeah so like basically you drink the ginja out of the the chocolate cup and then when you're done with with the ginja or better yet when there's just a little bit of ginja left Mm. you can eat the cup so it's like you get the chocolate and the cherry it's like like you know a chocolate covered cherry but liquid and really good and alcohol <laughs> which are all good things um it's very efficient and it's wonderful and it's everything that is good about life So a completely different place, place that's so different from Obidus, but also definitely worth the time to go check it out if you have time, is a wonderful town called Evra. Yeah, Evra is uh, very, very interesting and and beautiful and uh, absolutely worth a visit. Uh, It's also very different, as Tori mentioned. It's different not only in that the town itself is different, it's also different in terms of its surroundings. Mm. So uh, uh, Evera is due east of Lisbon and pretty far inland, like I would say probably three quarters of the way to the Spanish border. Um, and it's in a region called the Alentejo. And the Alentejo uh, is very different than the rest of Portugal. Uh, for one thing, it's, it's very flat. It's very dry and it's very hot and it is mostly populated by cork trees and olive trees. And I always find it interesting, no matter how you decide to get to Evora, just whether you're on a bus or a train or a car, just seeing just miles and miles of oak trees and of cork trees and uh, you can see some of them where they've been harvested, where they've just taken, you know, massive pieces of the the trunk, which is cork, you know, off of the tree. And I, I think since Portugal makes the majority of the cork that's produced in the world, I think it's one of the few places where you're going to see something like that, which is which is really uh, worth noting. Yeah, I could not take my eyes, you know, off the window when we were going there. It's just it's just something I've never seen before. It was just so spectacular. Yeah, so that's, I would say, uh, Evera is definitely a, uh, a day trip you might want to consider if you're looking for something completely different. Uh, it's also really a visit to Evera. is like a trip through history. There are a lot of things to see from from all different uh, points in history. And uh, the, the oldest site that you would see in Evera 
is sort of the ruins of an old Roman temple. Uh, basically, all that's left are the different columns, uh, but uh, it's it's not every day uh, that you can see uh, the remains of a building that's 2,000 years old, and that's how old this temple dates back to the first century A.D. So it's it's really amazing to be able to see something like that. Yeah, there's also this incredible aqueduct there, also um, from the 16th century, and that structure is really cool. Um, you've got these beautiful arches in one section of the city, but throughout, really, it's become almost like a secondary wall to the town itself. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about it is like you have sort of open areas where the aqueduct is really high and you just see nothing but the arches and you can see through them. But there are other parts of the aqueduct that are more in the town center where people have actually built houses into or within the arches of the aqueduct. So rather than it just being able to see through, there's literally just like a house there. And then, you know, each each arch of the aqueduct is like someone else's house, which I've never seen anything like that. I thought that was, it was really cool. Yeah, definitely. There's also this incredible chapel in Evra called Chapel of the Bones, which as it is called, is a chapel made entirely of human bones. And it's, I'm sure any research that you do will bring up images of this chapel. It's pretty incredible. It is a Franciscan chapel and it was built because there were numerous cemeteries throughout Evra that were taking up valuable land. And so there was this desire to, you know, retake that land, so to speak. And so this chapel was built with these bones. And rather than, I guess, interring the bones, the monks decided to have them exposed uh, so that they could provide a place that really offered a point of meditation, really, about kind of life and how transient it is and you know really provide that that spot to think about it yeah basically you have to remember again this is built in the 16th century so the 16th century the 1500s i would say that um this was the heyday of portuguese exploration the you know the portuguese were were the first to go out and explore a lot of the world, and they were the first to colonize a lot of the world, and they were bringing in a lot of riches because of that. So really, the 16th century was a very well, uh, you know, the Portuguese people in general were, were pretty well off. And I, I think that this chapel was built as a counterpoint to like the materialism that was starting to happen, where it was like, hey, you know, yeah, everything's great now and you're rich, but you know, eventually you're going to die no matter how rich you are. So like this was kind of like built to, to remind people of that and to kind of center them. And uh, to the point where there's a sign uh, above the door to the chapel that translates um, literally as we bones that are here are awaiting yours. So uh, just, just sort of a, a, a way to kind of bring people back to reality a little bit. Yeah, it's an incredible place. I haven't seen anything like this before uh, elsewhere and definitely, you know, makes you pause and think. Yep. Or maybe you just think it looks really cool. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, definitely gives you something to think about anyway. It does. 
And then finally, we've talked about some of the older uh, attractions in Evita. There is a more uh, recent attraction in Evita that uh, reflects more the modern legacy of that region, of the Alentejo region. And that is the uh, Alentejo region uh, wine tasting room. Now, unfortunately, Tori and I didn't get to visit that because we happened to be there on a public holiday and it was closed so maybe uh if if you want to taste a lot of the wines of the alentasia region maybe you want to plan your trip to evita on a day other than like a sunday or a, a bank holiday but i know that we have drank plenty of alentasia wine throughout uh our lives so we can say that it's definitely worth uh tasting some alentasia wines agreed they are really good wines. We actually did a whole episode about um, beer, wine, and port wine in Portugal. So you should check that out if you want to hear more about Alentejo wines. And so these are just some of our favorite spots that are a day trip away there are other spots that you can do in a day, but it's really pushing it and probably not giving it the well-deserved attention that these locations deserve, but you can do them. And one of those places is Coimbra. Yeah, so Coimbra is, is well known as a university town. It's uh, the University of Coimbra is the oldest and most prestigious uh, university in Portugal. The You can take tours of the university. Um, especially not to be missed is their library, which is, it, it's this, this massive room with these really, really hundreds and hundreds of years old, you know, books, just beautiful. Everything in there is just gorgeous. And um, one of my favorite little trivial tidbits about the library in uh, the University of Coimbra is that they actually have bats living there because the bats eat insects that would otherwise eat the books so and, and the other great thing about that library is that even though it's mostly a tourist attraction these days students actually still do use those books like it's it's still a working library which i think is 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 pretty amazing i actually went to the university there for about six weeks after college um i did a portuguese intensive course there and so i always think so fondly of Quimbra. um it was, you know, such a, like a prestigious university, and it was just great to like roam those halls and, you know, think about how, I don't know, just think about like the history and its legacy. Um, and then Coimbra itself is just great to walk around in. I mean, like everything else in Portugal is super hilly, but there's all these like really interesting alcoves and pathways and alleyways and just like a wonderful way to explore you know, this beautiful little university town. Yep. Again, Tori mentioned that um, doing it as a day trip might not be doing it justice. And one of the reasons for that is that much like Lisbon, Coimbra is also famous for its Fadu music, but its Fadu music is different than it is in Lisbon. Yeah, the Fadu music there has been typically sung by men only. Um, and I think part of that history is because 
of course, it being a university town back in the day, all the university students were men. And so the Faldu of Quimda was very much about these young students going out to serenade their loves. But it was typically, and I'm assuming still is to this day, only sung by men. And there's also a very interesting way to show appreciation for this Faldu music. Like, people clear their throats versus... Yeah, instead of clapping. Yeah, instead um, of clapping. Yeah, so I've never experienced that, but I would like to check that out, both for the music and for the clearing of the throat, because I just think that's... I've never heard of that before. Yeah. Uh, but again, that since father music is typically performed at night, uh, that would be something that you would need to do an overnight for. Uh, sort of on the other end of the spectrum from father there's a place... Uh, close by Coimbra, sort of a little theme park of sorts called Portugal dos Pequeninos, basically Portugal of the of the little ones or the children. And it, it I know I went there as a little, little kid, but uh, basically it's, uh, like I said, a, a little theme park where they have different areas that are, that represent the different parts of Portugal. And there are these sort of little houses that are sort of more on the scale of, of young children so that kids can run around and explore the different houses that are typical of the different spots in, in Portugal. So that that's kind of cute if, if you're traveling with kids. Do you have to be a kid to go in? I don't think they make you be a kid to go in, but I've not been as an adult. <laughs> I don't know if I would fit in the houses. <laughs> but I'm sure they're nice to look at either way. I'm very curious about this, but um, yeah. Yeah, and, and we should also note that uh, in terms of getting to Coimbra from Lisbon, the uh, the high-speed train that runs between Lisbon and Porto does stop in Coimbra. And it only takes about an hour and a half, which is good. Uh, the bad news is that the train station that that train stops at is a little bit away from the center of town. So you, you can't really walk to the center of town from that station. You can either take a taxi or I think there's another local train that would take you more towards the center of town. But um, not bad in terms of getting there to do a day trip. But, you know, maybe something that you might want to spend a little bit more time. Yeah. Another really cool place to check out is Tamad. Yeah, that that's a great little town, again, in central Portugal. It was sort of a Knights Templar stronghold uh, when the, uh, the Moors still controlled the Iberian Peninsula and, the, and people were trying to drive them out. And um, there's a really old castle dating back to those times, and uh, which to me... This castle was possibly the most impressive single tourist attraction I've seen in Portugal. Uh, there was just so much to see in there. There's this old round chapel. Uh, they, you know, they 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 built up the uh, the buildings on the inside of the of the castle throughout the years. Um, there's a building with this gorgeous Manueline, uh window which Manueline uh, dates back to King Manuel, who was the king around the time of the explorations, and the architecture became really grand and, uh, and, and really um, sort of opulent and very detailed and, and, and beautiful. And there's just this, the, the amount of detail on this, this huge stone uh, window 
on the on the outside of of one of the buildings in in the castle is like some like nothing I've ever seen. So yeah, and plus you know if you're gonna build a castle, it's gonna be on a hill for defense purposes. So obviously <laughs> there are beautiful views of the countryside like there are from most castles. So yeah, it's 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 a really amazing place to visit. There's also this really interesting museum there, which is unlike anything I've ever seen or heard of. Before. Yeah, me neither. Like it's yeah. So they have it's it's a museum that is dedicated solely to displaying a collection of matchbooks. And you might be like, oh well, that that sounds boring, and it's probably like one room. It's like no, it's like this. It's many many rooms, and like each room is dedicated to like a different country or a different continent and all of these like really decorative matchbooks from throughout history and like I, I can't even tell you how many matchbooks must be in this museum it's like you can't possibly look at everything like it's no, just it's like sensory no overload but it's like amazing to just try or just to look to whatever you focus on it, it's it you know you never knew that there were all of these different <laughs> ways to like present matches to people uh it's incredible yeah i don't know how this person got all these matchbooks or anything about it but i know we just like walked in and there was a guy at the door who was like okay and like we just walked in and i don't think we had to pay um and he was so excited about the matchbooks too like he was just like wanting to show us you know particular particularly the he was wanting to show us like some really interesting and valuable ones I just had no idea that there was a whole world dedicated to this, and it is a whole world dedicated to it. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Definitely check that out if you can. Mm-hmm. I also really like modern just because it's, it's one of those areas that just feels so welcoming and neighborly. Like, we just had a wonderful experience walking around, you know, the downtown area and um, just, like, meeting people who greeted us and were just so friendly i don't know there was something about it that was very special yeah the the people were very very friendly and the other thing i really liked about tumad is that the the town did a really nice job of integrating the river so there's a river that runs through it but it seems like for a lot of the places where you see the river, there's a lot of public space where you can enjoy the river, like parks. Remember there being this like really big water wheel and, you know, different pedestrian bridges where you can cross the river at different points. I I really thought it did a a really nice job of that. Definitely. And then there's another really famous part of Portugal to go to, which I've actually never been to, but it's like relatively close to Tomad, right? Yeah. So um, Tori is referring to Fatima which uh it's a world famous religious pilgrimage site it is it is very close to tomad in central portugal and uh the story there is that uh there was an apparition of mary to three local peasant children in the early 1900s and uh she first appeared to them in in may on may 13th and then she continued to appear to them on the 13th of the month for several months until October, where there was like a big apparition where a lot of people uh, gathered. And uh, to this, you know, still to this day, it's a huge pilgrimage site. There's a gigantic basilica that's been built. And 
especially on the 13th of each month uh, when the apparitions happened, it just, Fatima just becomes massively crowded. Just pilgrims come from all over the place. So I would say if you're, if you're looking for a casual visit to Fatima, I would not go on the 13th of those months uh, between May and October because it gets like super crowded, like all the hotels sold out and like, like just massive amounts of people. But, um, you know, it like I said, it is uh, a very, uh, very famous uh, religious pilgrimage site. Fatima is definitely on my list of places to go to the next time we're in Portugal, hopefully. Well, I don't know about you, but I have thoroughly enjoyed revisiting these wonderful places. Definitely. And I'm excited about our next episode because we're going to be joined by many of our friends... Yeah, so you've been listening to us talk about Portugal for for many episodes, and we thought that it would be a great idea for you to listen to the opinions of other people who have traveled to Portugal with us and sort of give you their unique perspective about what they loved about going to Portugal. Yeah, it's a really fun episode. We're fortunate enough to know really wonderful people, so it'll be a really great time to reminisce on all of our travels Yep, agreed. So we hope that you enjoyed this episode, and we'll have notes on all the places that we've mentioned on our website, tolisbonwithlove.com. We're also hoping that you'll send us in some questions. We're eager to hear from you about what you're still curious about Lisbon. Um, We're hoping to have an episode where we answer listeners' questions, so send them in, and maybe we'll answer them for you. So looking forward to next time. Ateja! Thanks for listening to To Lisbon with Love with your hosts, Paul Barakiro and Tori Costa. For more information on all the places and things that we've mentioned in this episode, visit tolisbonwithlove.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook, where we share photos of everything that the beautiful city of Lisbon has to offer. Unless otherwise noted, all music on To Lisbon with Love was recorded live at Duke de Rua, a wonderful fadu bar featuring live music five nights a week just steps up from the Rusiu in the heart of Lisbon. Visit our friends there and let them know that we sent you. Are you enjoying To Lisbon With Love? If so, please subscribe, rate us, and share with your friends. Is there something about Lisbon that you're dying to know about? Send an email to tolisbonwithlove at gmail.com and let us know. Obrigada. Obrigado.